0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 159. This interview is with Delphine Musso, VP Markets at the fashion online retailer Zalando. Dealing with the complications and localization in 15 European countries, Zalando is a standout German success story, having turned profitable last year on sales of over 2 billion euros. In this podcast, we discuss several of the localization challenges, including payment, customer care, product offer, and communication. It's a fascinating approach. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. And enjoy the show. So, welcome to the Middle Dialogue, and today a repeat offender. We don't have too many of these on the show, Delphine Mousseau. So, tell us who you are. Thanks for coming back on the show, Delphine. Tell us who you are and what you're up to, and if you can, what is your mindset?
1: So, I'm Delphine. I'm a weird French because I've not been living in France for now more than 12 years. I've been working in e commerce since 1999. And still really enjoying it a lot. So I'm now based in Berlin and working for Zalando, or Zalando, or Zalando, depending on where you come from. And uh, I'm in charge of the market, so really leading our matrix organization from the country perspective. So excited to be here today, very relaxed with 35 degrees outside in Berlin and uh, feeling like uh, summerish.
0: Summer, super. So Zalando, um, as we were talking before, it's a highly well-known brand. But for those who don't know it uh, particularly well, how would you describe Zalando? What would be some of the key uh, components to understand what is Zalando?
1: So Zalando is a multi-brand fashion store with uh, actually um, 1,500 brands and uh, 150,000 products every season. So you can find everything you think about in terms of fashion at Zalando. Um from the basic brands to the most advanced brands, uh, the premium brands. Uh, just think about men, women, kids, accessories, sports, lingerie, you name it, we have it.
0: And... What about your size? How big are you and and who would you consider your competitors?
1: So our size is, uh, last year we did actually 2.2 billion turnover across 15 countries in Europe. Um, We don't have really direct competitors. We have a lot of competitors in niche, like ASOS, for instance. We have uh, competitors doing um, all sorts of assortment like Amazon, but their overlap with us is quite limited. Uh, so I would say we don't have really comparable, um, at least in sizes, uh, competitors because we're really offering a range which is um, um, we cannot be found any, anywhere else. We're the biggest sneaker store in Europe. We're the biggest denim store in Europe. So if you're looking for something specific, uh, you're sure to find it at our place. Not sure you can find it at our competitors.
0: One of the things that... Um we often talk about with e-commerce is the profitability, and and Zalando marks itself out by being profitable. Tell us what you can tell us about the profitability.
1: So Zalando started really, really strong. I mean, it's a very
0: young company. Only, only
1: less than six years ago, they started, you know, from scratch. So it's been growing super, super fast and and mostly because, of course, a lot of money has been injected uh, to create the brand, create the awareness, but also, you know, play with all the performance marketing channels and really, you know, raise that traffic that's needed to to get the volume. Um, So for long, actually, we've been losing a lot of money, but really investing in the long term uh, through your high growth. Uh, Last year, we've shown uh, good profits with 62.1 million euro profit. So it was not really expected in the market. And I think this is why our IPO went so well. Um, Actually, uh, we managed to show that we can grow fast, but at the same time profitably.
0: So what would you say? So you've been developing the brand. How would you characterize or, or qualify? What is the Zalando brand?
1: So the salon of the brand is really, it should be, and, and it will be still being our fashionability, it's really your fashion partner. You know, someone where you can find the fashion which is relevant for you, where you can get the right advice, uh, when you can rate, where you can get the right selection of products, and we're getting uh, stronger and stronger in our personalization to make sure that you really have the relevant uh, fashion experience for you.
0: All right, so um, Delphine, you're in 15 countries in Europe, correct? Yes. And, and you're dealing with all these different markets. So one of the things that I wanted to dig in with you is how you are going about uh, adapting to each of the markets. Because, oh, and I know another question I wanted to ask you before we get into that, which is about your offline presence. Because, you know, there's sort of this rumbling that online is great. First of all, not necessarily always profitable. And can we exist only online? How do you react to that? And what's your strategy with regard to on and off? So, there are several elements in there. First, you need
1: to get your online right. And I have to say, um, we've been starting in uh, Germany and uh, in what we call the dark countries, so Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, and trying to expand from, from those countries. And I have to say, we've made a lot of progress in the other countries across Europe, but we're seeing that we still have way to go, uh, a lot of room for localization. So, we'll talk a bit later about what we've been doing recently, but... We have a lot still, you know, before we can consider alternative ways of growing. So I would say, let's first work on the recipes, which are, let's get our online experience right. Then on offline, I think this is something definitely we need to work on. We are doing pop-up stores. We are doing collaboration with Fashion Weeks here and there in different cities um, in Europe. The next one being the Stockholm Fashion Week at the end of August. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to be really present and visible locally. Going to the offline store and and trying to have a shopping experience offline is still not yet defined. It's something that we still have in mind, but I think it's premature at the moment because we've got so much more to do just to 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 make the the experience online as good as it can be.
0: Yeah, surely. Well, it's a, it's an interesting thing because you you know we we live with a screen in between us. You and I are skyping, and and, and it's it's a very human experience, right? As we speak. And, you know, of course, nothing's going to replace the old handshake. At the same time, you know, you do need to get into people's minds. And, and so the communication efforts and television or, you know, old-fashioned newspapers almost can still be ways to get into people's minds, which, you know, is considered offline. And then there's, you know, making the experience more interesting, getting into the people's minds, the opinion leaders. And so it's it's such an interesting challenge to move from an e-commerce only online into that other space that's typically occupied by the typical offline players?
1: I think um, to keep the communication going, uh, definitely we're working on having more and more touch points. I think at the beginning, Zalando was very much focusing on the TV campaign. I think it was one of the first e-commerce players really using TV heavily. We had this cream advertising, um, you know, that... Somehow, it could be uh, the, the German humor was not always fitting all the markets, but really very shouting really loud. And I think it really helped the brand awareness at the beginning of our journey. Now, we're really trying to get more touch points. So, we are doing out-of-home campaigns. We're doing print campaigns. We're doing events. We're doing all sorts of things to make sure that we can have several contacts with our customers. When you talk about having a, um, a closer relationship, we're trying new stuff, which are working quite well. For instance, we've launched recently in Germany our salon, which is basically a contact with um Fashion advisor so you 're in contact with one person in particular who's going to put together an outfit for you uh, with you know head to toe and sending it uh, to you and then you can try it on and, and keep what you like so this is a kind of way you can have this kind of personal contact and really be close in the fashion uh, with this fashion advice basically
0: and so Zalando is based in Germany, and the you know some huge portion of your business is presumably german i don 't know exactly what you know what it represents for the total. But one of the things you and I were talking about we're going to get into is, is the idea of the sort of central office, the managing, directing, controlling, and, you know, the countries must obey. Let's talk about some American companies that are very much command and control, you know, from central office. Let's call Apple, you know, not to mention others. You guys are are in the process. You have a very strong German market. You have some very German-speaking companies, as you were just met, uh, countries. And and so you're developing the other countries. Talk, talk us through your strategy of trying to evolve from a sort of a command and control into a more localized approach.
1: Yeah. So I think at the beginning, basically, the idea was to take uh, the German USP, which is free shipping, free return, and also this payment and invoice, and, uh, and basically spread it. So just go and conquer the different markets in Europe. It worked out well in some countries, like Switzerland, which is very close. Um, somehow as good also in the Netherlands, but in other countries it was not really working as good. So very quickly we realized we need to have a local twist to whatever we do. So we had basically dedicated um, market people in each of the functions. Last year we've reorganized and went into a matrix organization, so basically we have all the people dealing with one country sitting together here in Berlin. It's very easy for me managing Europe. I can go downstairs on the ground floor to talk to France or Netherlands or to the second floor to talk to the Nordics. But it really creates this idea that we have um, really a local strategy and then each function is contributing to the success of that local strategy and, and really brings um, this, this understanding, this local understanding. So, of course, we're recruiting a lot of local people to work here in Berlin uh, to address those uh, local topics.
0: All right. So what? how much offices are there in each of the countries? I mean, to what does what Zalando in Italy look like as opposed to, you know, the Italian team in Germany in Berlin? So everything is
1: based in Berlin. Uh, we have a buying office in Paris because we have a lot of specific uh, French brands. So we've, we've um, at some point opened different offices. The one in Paris is the one which is still there because it really makes sense to have a presence locally.
0: Everything else is done out of Berlin. And when you hire people for Italy, do you have to have an Italian? Depending on the functions. I would say
1: if it's a commercial planner, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Though we have a lot of applicants from Southern Europe, because of course, you know, uh, unemployment rate is a bit higher. (laughs) (coughs) Indeed. But but indeed, uh, we try to have locals as much as possible. All right.
0: In in the realm of problems that e-commerce has, one of them was profitability. The problems, like, you know, myths that we have about it. So one of them is this challenge of of being profitable. Another one is a trust, and and the trustworthiness of your of the of the brand you're buying from. You know, trusting in general marketers. One of those areas of trust is in the payment area, and so I was going really, to talk us through how you've had to, you know, deal with the payment component, country by country in different ways.
1: So it's, it's extremely important. I think the trust comes from, from the experience, and, and you need to have a perfect experience, and a perfect experience means something very different for country. So it's true that you know paying later is the best way to get the trust. So the payment on invoice, which is uh, the preferred payment methods in, in uh, most of the dark countries, is helping a lot because, of course, as a new customer, basically, uh, you don't take any risk. Uh, it's not the case in the rest of Europe. In most countries, it would uh, open. Pay on invoice. Of course, nobody would pay the invoice, so that would not work. Um, I would just wanted to give the example of Italy. I mean, Italy is is some way in in terms of uh, payment uh, very very far behind. Twenty nine percent of the Italians do not have a bank account.
0: That's really huge. I mean, it's crazy because there are so many banks in Italy. This
1: is how it is. You know, of course, maybe it's not completely our target audience, but still culturally not having a bank account is okay. You know, not having a bank account in France would be really weird, yeah. and um, so we've, we've moved to uh, offering cash and delivery in Italy uh, more than two years ago, and the impact has been tremendous. I mean, it's, it's uh, more than half our payments are done through cash and delivery. So, so it's it a different kind of relationship. People really have to give the money to uh, the carrier. And most of the time, they actually know the carrier, you know, they know their postman and they give their money to their postman. And it's this kind of way that you can create this trust.
0: And so, I mean, I want to just unpack one portion of that, which is the choice of your carrier. Uh, I So I assume that's all third party. And and then, you know, to what extent that trust component via the carrier is so relevant? Like, the, do you want to go with... La, La Poste in France and UPS in other countries or how do you how do you work that to find the best combination
1: most of the time the local national carrier has got you know the historical relationship and this trust so we tend to go for the local carriers but we have learned in, um, in different countries that it would make sense sometimes to go for a bit more expensive carrier and have the better relationship. So wherever we've got the choice, we really uh, have been uh, very cautious in choosing. What we see in the development for the future is that we need to have more options. And uh, even though we've got free shipping for the, the basic options, we're adding new carrier services so we've added uh, added express last year so people can pay extra to to get uh, their shipment faster we're going to add extra uh, options so for instance in switzerland uh, since january we're shipping uh, a sort of a form of express so basically your your, uh, um, order is batched prior in the warehouse and then it's uh, shipped in the evening and then um, given to the carrier during the night go through customs and then you get it delivered in the evening. So people who are working, the love is um, actually expressed because it's, it's one to one and a half days later, but you get it specifically in the evening after six o'clock. So it's a very practical product for people and it's the adoption rate has been really, really high.
2: Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit You can find the Driving Change podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.
0: Drones?
1: I can't give you any numbers. No 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 no, no.
0: drones drones. <laughs>
1: Uh, Drones could be an option. The question is, uh, you know, how do you deal with fraud and people stealing the parcels and things? Right,
0: or shooting down the local thing, If if the
1: drones is able to come back with a signature on receipt, then uh, I'm fine with drones.
0: (sighs) And what about um, uh, marketing or the advertising? How have you managed that? Because in the end of the day, you know, having been, you know, chief marketing people... We're always interested in having consistent branding and and uh, and then optimization of, of your costs because you know so much better to have one television shoot that works for everybody. How have you approached that?
1: So we started, of course, by uh, having one spot for every everywhere, um, and then we thought, okay, we need to go local because we need to have a specific humor per country because the first spots were really um, onto having something humoristic to be uh, easier to memorize. And we've realized actually this is not really the way to go. What we've really understood is that we need to have a local message, like something which is really relevant to the level of maturity of each market. So I would give an example, for instance, in Italy, uh, we've had already a campaign and we're going to continue with a specific campaign with a local testimonial, so um, uh, a model who's really known in, in Italy, so to create this trust, but also to explain that it's so easy uh, to get this free shipping, free return, makes your, your purchase really easy. And um, it sounds basic, but for Italians, the returns, for instance, is not that obvious. We see in focus group that when we talk about returns, people think that they're going to get a refund in voucher, not a refund in money. There is some kind of... Um, Guilt also from the the Italian customer that if they return, it means they broke their promise. You know, I promise that I'm going to buy that product and then I don't buy it in the end. So I'm guilty. It's just like, sorry, what's what's your problem, you know? And uh, we're going to show in our autumn spot uh, that actually returning, even if you don't like it, it's okay. You you can change your mind.
0: So are you doing... Absolutely different creatives for each, or do you have like a video creative that you just voice over differently? No, it's completely different creatives. Wow.
1: But we choose like certain markets that we push for a certain time. And once we think the education and the, the understanding of the USP is at the right level, then we can go back to their, our main core message.
0: All right. So in this localization process, you, you do an ad. And of course, we're in this sort of new world, we have to optimize and uh, repurpose our ads. So this means that you're doing an Italian-specific creative. And then presumably that means you also have a, a very social-specific approach to italy as well
1: yeah especially because italy is very social um, italy is one of the country where the social media is the highest uh, in the way that for instance in nordics people use social media but are mostly looking uh, or observer in italy they are participants but let's go back just on the localization i'm going to give you another example which is quite interesting uh, we had a very big uh, campaign with uh, Cara Delevingne, um with Top Shop, a co-branded campaign. And actually, it was a global spot. Like, most of the country carrying Top Shop assortment had the same uh, spot. But she was trying to pronounce it. With, it was a tongue twister. She was trying to pronounce the difficult names of the cities where um, actually Zalando is shipping. I see. But she was pronouncing a different city for each country. So she would say Clermont-Ferrand for France, or she would say
0: garbisch
1: partenkirchen for Austria. So even on something which is actually generic, done for all the countries, we give this little extra local twist because this is what people can relate with. You know, it's extremely important to give this local flavor that people feel that we're talking to them and not uh, as a generic European
0: voiceover. So actually, so in the creative brief you have, you know, let's say some trunk of the creative which is the same and then you add in, hey Kara, you need to say one for Germany, one for France, one for Italy, one for Spain, one for Portugal, blah blah blah. Exactly. But
1: this is something that didn't came as supernatural at the beginning. Sure. And then once we have tested it, we realized that it's a must. It's really how it works. And we had a fun, uh, actually, uh, um, copy of our spots by uh, Clermont-Ferrand University. And uh, have a look. It's, it's pretty fun to see how people really connect
0: when, when we talk local. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And another thing um, that, of course, is so important, if you take the Amazon example, is uh, customer care and And I think customer care by itself is a is a an important topic because typically let's say most companies or a lot of companies, even though it has the word customer" in it, they somehow for some reason don't really give it as much value they like to outsource it they or you know it's it's put in the the warehouse or you know the cheapest possible group of people and and yet it is the the link with the customer that many. B to C companies like L'Oreal or others, you know, don't. That's their, That's their real opportunity to interface. So customer care is super important. What is your approach to customer care? And and by the way, I would love to know. Do you benchmark again? Who do you benchmark against in order to establish, you know, the strength of your customer care?
1: So customer care is definitely extremely important. Uh, we've been focusing since the beginning of the year into the the NPS, really, the, the satisfaction of our customers. And uh, it's true that in the past, it was not the main center of attention because we were looking for growth and not uh, we couldn't really afford to have a perfect customer care. So we've really made good progress. Um, talking about localization, a funny example is that, for instance, for Switzerland, which is quite a big country for us, we used to have German speakers from Germany. Of course, out of Berlin, it's much, so much easier. And at some point, we decided to move to uh, Swiss-German. And the satisfaction of our customer increased by double digits. So it's interesting to, even in those small details, that uh, this feel for local is extremely important. What we've done like recently, we have rolled out uh, chat um, for customer care. So we see a very good result on chat. So we're really moving from uh, customer care with being a must do into customer care being really a way to create a satisfaction with our customers. So definitely an area where we're investing quite a lot.
0: So that that ultimately that's quite complicated because that means that you know if you have the Austrian telephone calls coming in or the, the Swiss uh, German company calls coming in, you you have to manage the flow as opposed to having you know Germans for everybody, yeah. and that, so that's more expensive.
1: Yeah, well, the good thing is that we're getting so big that we can afford to have this complexity. Um, I'm happy I'm not ahead of customer care because it's still complex, yeah. but uh, but it's manageable. And uh, basically, we, we have the critical size to be able to do it. Um, most of the tools are getting more and more sophisticated from a customer care point of view because customers want to be rich where they are. Um, The same way you want to interact on Facebook with the company you want to interact with for your problem on Facebook. So you were talking about uh, who do we compare uh, with? I think it depends on countries in Europe. I would say the countries which are more advanced in customer care are the Netherlands. Uh, for the Dutch, um, breaking the promise is a big, big issue. Yeah. Trust is really based on, on, you know, keeping the promise. So whenever something goes wrong, you better make sure that you talk about it, you address the problem. And I think um, two examples are really good. Um, KLM is amazing. Uh, KLM, if you take a flight, tells you during, you know, when you enter as a first message, we'll answer any of your questions uh, on social media within the hour, and um, and they're really uh, keeping the promise. Another company in that's interesting is also Cool Blue, which has been growing on uh, electronics only and um, white goods and uh, basically grown from nothing to something quite big, focused on customer care. So those are the kind of example we look at. I don't think this is a benchmark for everywhere in Europe because um, not everyone has got the same expectations, but this is where we, uh, where we think we should be going uh, long-term.
0: That's super interesting. And uh, what, I, I just kind of <laughs> think about you know, because you and I are multilingual living in Europe. I was just thinking, so do you have customer care for Strasbourg as opposed to Lille? <laughs> Not <laughs> yet, but uh, Marseille maybe one day. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, Belgian French versus French French. Yeah, we've got Belgian French. You do? Yeah, as opposed do. to French French?
1: Not all agents, but we tend to try and make sure that we've got
0: Belgian agents when possible. And are, So is your customer care in- in-house? not all but a big parties yeah yeah and so the other thing with this with customer care is the is the amount of information you have to feed them you know i've been in a few other organizations where you you're dealing with 1500 brands 150,000 products and having to keep them aware of what's going on all the time in belgian french and french french and so on and so forth how do you manage that
1: so i think um We just managed through really having high expectations. Uh, We've really put high expectation in terms of first contact resolution. So if you want to meet those targets, you need to be aware of what's going on. So we've got um, an information person in each team grabbing all the information related to that market. So we've got a lot of information circulating in between the market and uh, the customer care of that market to make sure that they know what kind of promotion's going on, what kind of voucher is used, uh, what kind of specific action on the app is going on? So um, there is a big, big flow of information.
0: Mm. It seems so important. All right, the last area I wanted to talk about was uh, product pers- or product, because you have so many products. You know, is it one for all? How much are you, you know, culling and and swapping and changing the offer per country? And how do you manage that? Because that's that's sort of a, a logistical nightmare. Yeah.
1: So for now, I think uh, I would say we're really best in class in shopping experience. So everything which should link to um, putting things in your basket, uh, payment, shipping, returns, refund. I would say on the fashion experience, uh, we still have a way to go. And I hope this is where I can bring up a bit more value. Um, I would say we have a very good local assortment. Not yet perfect, but I would say in each market, we've got the key brands, which makes sense for that market. And basically, we're very good at uh, giving you a personalized view based on what you've been browsing before. So recommendation engine and things are very sophisticated, so you can get a good glance of what you need. So if you like one product and you want something at a slightly different price and different color, you can look at the recommendation on the page and it works really, really well. Um, however, we aim at being even more personalized. So for instance, we've launched now a um, partnership with Amaze, which is an app, uh, sort of a Tinder for fashion. So uh, this is the kind of way that we should collect more information to help uh, you have a personalized experience. So basically the products you see on Amaze are the Zalando products maybe some more around, but mostly down own products. And, and basically, you like, don't like, and then you go deeper in the offer. Because the problem is that having so many products, people can get lost. And this is not what we want. So we want really to guide them in looking at what is relevant for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the things I noticed, uh, you have luxury, uh, one of your tabs on Zalando. And I was just interested to figure out how you determine luxury. Is there is there um, is it an argument? You know, do some sort of say, I want to be in luxury amongst the brands?
1: Yeah, somehow, yes. I mean, some brands really position them in premium. Some brands want to have double exposure in the main catalogue and in premium, the ones who are, at, I would say, at the sweet spot. Some brands really don't want to be mixed up, even though some of their um, articles are at a decent price point that would be in the main catalogue. So it's a bit of a discussion, ongoing discussion. What's, what's important that people looking for premium? are not disappointing, disappointed, so they need to find what they're looking for. So if, if they get their only cheaper stuff, they would not be you know, pleased. So we need to make sure that it's really what people are looking for. All
0: right, so the, in in this sort of area of localization, you've got all these customers that are in these 15 markets, and, and as we know, email remains a, an important part. I'm sure you can maybe tell us a little bit about that. But how do you manage uh, to have a mass customization i mean because that's sort of where a lot of these e-commerce sites are having to go to you have the the, the recommendations that are personalized presumably you know mm. what what talk us through how your approach to trying to create a less you know monolithic company into the uh, you know something that feels like oh this is from inter
2: yeah We're moving on
1: step by step. I cannot tell all the plans because they're going to be executed in the coming 12 months. But I would say we've got an an approach similar to a a department store. You know, uh, it depends on the shop floor and on the corner. And basically, um, when you go into a Galerie Lafayette or um, House of Fraser's, you see different groupments of of brands. And this is somehow the kind of feeling that we need to reproduce uh, on site. Uh, we collect a lot of information on your behavior, so we've got the data. Now we need to work it out to make it really work as precisely as possible for you. I think what is really interesting is that uh, we're less on the data but more on the app, and people interact more and more. And uh, we've got ways to interact. For instance, we have our product feed. So at the bottom of the page, you have a lot of products, and you can say, I like them or I don't like them. I can like that brand or not like that brand. And that helps really basically learning uh, what is relevant for you. So the same way as you discuss with the sales rep when you're in the store and say, I don't like it, you can also interact with Zalando and say, I don't like it. So we can you know, show you products which are more relevant for you as you interact with us. So it's it's keeping this conversation going and uh, we're going to get more and more efficient at it.
0: Give me an idea of, of mobile as opposed to uh, desktop. How, where are you in, in terms of uh, business? Can you give me some stats?
1: Yeah, of course, we've got more than half of our traffic going to mobile already. And it's growing a lot, and um, we really think that we need to be mobile first, and we're developing most of our new uh, all our new developments uh, first
0: on mobile. The last area, the last question, Delphine, is about uh, tr- within the trust category.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we've talked about the payment component, the logistics component, and then there's this notion of uh, transparency where what is your position with regard to transparency and you know how much can our different markets tolerating lack of transparency or opacity is there sort of is it something that every country says you know listen do as i say and and say as i do or are are there some countries that still sort of allow you know i would say some less attractive approaches to, to pricing for example
1: um I think, you know, uh, the consumer is a bit schizophrenic. Uh, he wants to have something very personalized, but not necessarily want to give information. Right. So it's like going to the doctor and saying, you know, I don't want to address, but tell me what's my problem. It, it just doesn't work. So culturally, some countries have really issues with uh, data privacy. So like Germany is really uh, still protecting a lot and making sure the information is shared to a certain extent. In the end, uh, it works only if people are, you know, share their behavior so we can really help them the best possible. Some alternative, of course, as I was mentioning, uh, is uh, the personal interaction. So, if you don't want to basically interact with the machine, you can talk to someone. I mean, we give all the options. So, the consumer can make it more personalized through uh, a personal interaction with Zalon or less, uh, less human with the machine if he interacts more because during his commuting time, he wants to basically play on his mobile. Uh, everyone's got a different behavior, and we can offer basically different ways of uh, addressing the need of the customer.
0: All right, Delphine, our time is up. I I really appreciate your time. So I don't want to grab you for any longer and take advantage of you. There's a a friend over in in the States who says, well, would you have a shameless plug that you want to give to us?
1: Yeah, the point that I really want to mention is that um, we're growing really, really fast and I've got a lot of empty seats around me. So that would be really, really nice if people would look at jobs.zalando.de uh, to to uh, to get those interesting positions we have opened and uh, and apply.
0: Does that include um, you know people moving? I mean, does that you have to get people to try, yeah, expatriating or impatriating, okay. I guess
1: Berlin is fantastic. So come there. You've it's got a... the, the creativity of uh, of Europe, the dynamism, the good spirit, low tax. I mean, and good weather.
0: What can, you, what
1: can you expect more?
0: It's a great culture, too. So, um, Delphine, what's the best way someone can reach you or follow what you're up to in terms of social or whatever you'd like?
1: Uh, you can follow us on
0: Facebook, Twitter, go to the website, but mostly download the app. All right, we'll do. We'll put all that into the show notes, Delphine. Thanks for coming on the show. Danke sehr schön. Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray that you mention in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you Yeah.